is caught. It's history. A Cardinals four-game sweep of the Cubs and Wrigley for the first time since 1921. St. Louis back in the postseason. First time since 2015. A Wrigley Field massacre. And how sweet it is. And Bader launches one out to deep left. Into Big Matt Lynn and he hit the painting. He hit the painting for Fred Bird. You've got to be kidding me. Hi, welcome back to the next installment of Conversations with Sarudi with your host, Ben Sarudi, and uh, frequent guest, Kyle Reese. We are on to our second to last of the countdown of Kyle's Dirty Flirty. So we are on prospects six through ten. We will take them one at a time from ten down to six um, here on episode eight of Conversations with Sarudi for season two. Kyle, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing well, Ben. I've uh, enjoyed this. I'm anxious to get these out and to uh, talk about the kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, these are guys that you are very accustomed to talking about. These are the ones that uh, by this point are are guys that most of them we've had on the prospect list before, but not all of them. And uh, most of them are guys that people really, really want to know about in, in like Prospects After Dark that you host and all that. So, um, so I, I know that... Uh, you never tire of talking about prospects, but uh-huh. uh, and, and we want to give these guys their due. But but you've said so much of this before, so I, I, I hope that uh, I hope that I can keep your interest with the questions I asked tonight. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'll th- uh, yeah, I can talk about these guys all day long. Yeah. So a while back, uh, uh, well, obviously a while back, since we're looking at, we didn't put one of these out in December or January or February, but. Before the hiatus, uh, somewhere in a list in the mid to late 20s, I was very meh about the players in one of those podcasts. And I mentioned it in that episode. This list of 10 to 6 has me just absolutely electrified. And I can't wait to discuss these names today because, holy cow, there's some good ones. Um, Number 10 on your list is right-handed pitcher Michael McGreevy of the 2021 draft. Number nine is outfielder Joshua Baez, also in the 2021 draft. Number eight is outfielder Alec Burleson. And then numbers seven and six are infielders, mostly, who are looking at potential jobs in the majors this year. Number seven is infielder Brendan Donovan. And then number six is infielder slash maybe corner outfielder slash DH Juan Yepes, who... uh, I wouldn't say featured prominently. I'll say uh, made appearances in our last podcast. Um, So uh, out of those five today, just all those names really get me really excited to talk baseball. So this, this should be a fun episode for our listeners. Um, Kyle, anything you want to overview with those guys before we talk about them individually? I love that we have five completely different prospects here. Um, You know, sure. There's only one pitcher. But I love that we have five different guys at different stages in their career that have all had different paths to where they're at. Um, and, of you know, maybe of these five subsets, this is the one that I feel, uh, you know, one through, obviously one through five, 
you feel pretty strongly about, but I, I just, I feel so strongly about the potential of six through 10 uh, and their ability to make an impact at the major leagues uh, and not just a major league debut, but the impact at the major leagues at some point. Fantastic. Well, let's jump and I right also, in. And, oh, fast, I also think, I, <laughs> I'm sorry, no. So, you know, uh, one thing that Cardinal fans maybe stress out about is when they see the national rankings, they'll see that, oh, the Cardinals are the, the 20th best farm system or the 21st or the 17th. Uh, it's something that I've been on Twitter about and I've been to set on pad over the last couple months, especially since the 2021 draft is that, and, and I think we'll see it here with prospects 10 through six. I make the argument that I think this is the best group of prospects the Cardinals have had since I started writing for birds on the black. When you're talking about back in the day when they had Jag and Randy Rosarena and Ryan Helsley and Austin Gomber and uh, O'Neill and Bader and Jack Flaherty. Like, I think that this is the best group, a top end talent they've had in maybe six years, seven years. Uh, and I also think that they have some, some really, really good depth that is getting overlooked. So just like has become custom with the Cardinals organization and their ability to produce major league talent and major league producers. I think that we're still in that same boat where you can look at it. You can understand why some national um, ranking services might say that this is the 17th best or 21st best or 22nd best or whatever back half back third uh, organization from a prospect standpoint in baseball. But, uh, I think it's more than that. I, I think that it's just as good now as it's been in a long time. And I think it's even more impressive because they have some high-end talent and they have depth and they have teenagers with with high-end talent that could also be depth. Uh, I, I don't know. I just, I really mean it when I say that I think that this is the most, while I, I am concerned about maybe some of the pitching uh, organizational-wide, I think that this is probably the most promising the organization has been in a very, very long time. So one of those players who we think might be promising was their first round draft pick in 2021, Michael McGreevy. Um, He's a pitcher who you have mentioned has control. He's got pitchability. Um, he's a guy who I think we could get a lot into like organizational draft philosophy that you and I have discussed before after this McGreevy pick. Um, and if we have time, we can, but prior to doing so, let's, let's get into McGreevy. So what are your thoughts about him in terms of, I know at that, that, that evening of the draft, you were all on board saying, I think this is who the Cardinals will take. Um, Tell us more about him. I had DM some people, uh, some friends, some friends within the industry and said, jokingly, the weekend before the draft, but you know, that half joke, half serious, where like, man, Michael McGreevy is the ultimate Cardinal pick. Uh, and it was, for me, what I saw, and again, I don't know if this aligns with how the Cardinals draft or not, it, but like what I saw is I saw a kid who was young for the age group. Um, I saw a kid who had increased velocity with good command, uh, was super athletic, who was smart. I think he's an honor, an honor student who had a feel for baseball, who had, uh, uh, like I said, that athleticism that comes with being a really good position player before being drafted uh, 
drafted out of college, you know, being a good prep position player to go along with, um, you know, pitchability that got him uh, the scholarship to be a pitcher in college. And when I watched an interview with him, he just seemed like a Cardinal pick. All of these things lined up. Now, I didn't, you never know how the draft's going to go. You never know what to expect. Uh, So when we were doing the draft episode of Prospects After Dark, I think I just briefly said something like it could be it could be McGreevy, and I I almost panned the pick uh, because I was so focused on like Ty Madden and Gunnar Hogland and uh, uh, Ryan Kusick, who I I liked a lot at the time. And when they called his name, I I hit myself right away because he's just such a cardinal player. Like he he has all the values, he has all the work ethic, uh, and more importantly, from like a scouting standpoint. There's no reason to think that even if things don't go well for him, like say they just go projectedly average for him, he's going to be a major league pitcher. You know, if if he gets to the bottom end of his talent, he's probably a major league pitcher. Like say he doesn't get any better than what he was at draft time, uh, uh, other than more experience, more reps, he's probably going to pitch in the major leagues. He's just, and it's not it's not a high floor talk. It's not that. Uh, it's a little bit different because he's still raw in a lot of ways, even though he throws a lot of strikes. Um, he maybe needs to get a little bit better about working on the edges as opposed to just throwing strikes. Uh, but he's just, with his fastball and curve combo, you know it has a potential to be something special. He has an increased velocity. He has an amazingly quick arm action, which is the one thing that sticks out to me. Between the athleticism and his motion his and his pitching, and that quick arm that he has, which I view to be elite arm speed, which I could be wrong about. Um, I, and then you copy, like you put that with his ability to repeat his mechanics, although he slows down to throw the breaking pitches a little bit, uh, a very, very little bit, very, a very, very little bit for being as young as he is. It's something that I have no doubt he'll, he'll pave away. You could almost see a situation in which he ends up being and having the same height as like Jack, hype as Jack Flaherty had three years ago, four years ago, entering the 2018 season. Like, there, there is that option. And, you know, one thing I want to call myself out on is I, in 2019, I was very, not critical, but if people will remember correctly, like, I understood why the Cardinals drafted Zach Thompson, but I wanted them to draft George Kirby. And now George Kirby is one of the biggest prospects in all of baseball, uh, one of the most complete prospects in all of baseball. And it was because he had this, this arsenal and a body type that you could view putting on velocity. And that's what he's done. Now, there's some questions about his fastball, especially the way that it moves on the axis, uh, uh, Kirby's that is, uh, where McGreevy doesn't have that. McGreevy is more of a sinker pitcher. He's gonna, They're going to pound balls into the dirt on him, makes him even more of a cardinal prospect in that regard. But you can envision a situation in which McGreevy's slider and changeup take the next step and then that's a four-pitch pitcher that you drafted young in this draft class uh, that doesn't let up a lot of home runs, who keeps the ball on the ground and throws strikes. And that's a kid who's pitching in the major leagues at 23 in a rotation. Uh, so these are all reasons why it makes a lot of sense to have him in the top 10. These are all reasons why it makes sense that the Cardinals drafted him 18th overall. Um, it's just a matter of how it all manifests. You know, there's some questions about his velocity and how that would maintain. He Again, his velocity got better as the season went on uh, in 2021. It sounds like he was really bringing the, 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 the velocity down in spring training. We'll see how well that sticks throughout an entire season. Uh, we've heard him talk 
in spring training about how he's put on weight after losing a bunch of weight during the collegiate season, after maybe coming in a little skinnier to spring uh, to uh, uh, his first uh, taste of affiliated baseball. He's put on weight. He feels stronger. He feels more ready for uh, the the trials and tribulations that come from a full minor league season, and that has me excited. Awesome. Um, a little more info, McGreevy, you said he was young for his age. He did come out as a junior last year, I believe, and he's still only age 21 right now. So until July yeah. 8th, is, he'll, he'll turn 22. So he has yet to throw a pitch as a – well, no, he has yet to throw in his age 21 season uh, with the Cardinals. So that's pretty awesome. Um Yeah. Yeah, that that's that that's definitely a player to keep an eye on. A guy who you describe to me, it sounds like as more of a high floor than a high ceiling guy. But I could see if the the pitch shapes and the velocity grow and his command doesn't suffer, that it could be more than just a high floor guy. Even yeah. Yeah, I, I, again, it's so tough for me because I, I hate using the high floor, low ceiling, low yep, floor, yep. high ceiling. I, 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 I've never been a fan of it because I, I don't know if it necessarily paints uh, an appropriate picture. But I do think that I, I think that there's a way to say that like he's like a younger version of what Dakota Hudson was when the Cardinals drafted him in the first round, but with the ability to throw strikes. And like quicker motions. I don't know. He's just, he's so athletic and he's so promising. And that arm speed, like look at the article or Google search Michael McGreevy or Twitter search Michael McGreevy. That arm, that arm speed, especially with the way that he brings it over the top, not really over the top, but uh, he has deception in the motion. You know, he's another one of those guys that I'm, I'm higher on now than I was months ago. Uh, with being able to uh, to kind of step away from it. I do think that obviously his command is better than his control. Uh, and I'm anxious to see, like say that they were to push him to double A. I'm anxious to see what the Texas, because now luckily Springfield is back to being in the Texas league. Uh, I'm anxious <laughs> to see what the Texas league will, will have for him if, and when he makes it in 2022. Um, by the way, Memphis will be in the International League for the first time, I believe. Yes. Uh, uh, and then everybody else goes back to normal, Florida State League and Midwest League for uh, Florida uh, for uh, uh, Palm Beach and Peoria, respectively. Um, so anyways, yeah, like I'm, I, I'm anxious to see what that is. That's a hell of a challenge for a, 21, a kid in this age 21 season. But uh, I think he can handle it because I think he has a mental capacity for it and a prep for it, too. So question for you, then, if... Memphis is in the international rather than the, than the PCL. Is that less travel to those ballparks or did they just rename? Okay. So they don't have to go to the crazy hitter parks quite as often. Uh, no. Yeah. That's it. Let me double. I'm not, but I'm almost, it's just like last year. It's, it's more like last year than it was in 2019. They just, yeah. Yeah, they reshuffled a bunch over the last couple of years, and and it's we're trying to get back to some semblance of normal, I guess. Um, all right, next up, I'm going to jokingly, I think, give you a chance right now to get away with something you wanted to do in your article about Joshua Baez. Do you just want to use your one line about the next prospect since you didn't get a chance to then? I don't even know what it was. 
Yeah, you'll have to read that to me. Okay. Basically, uh, I think you wanted to say something along the lines of Joshua Baez is a monster or something like that, and then just end the article. But uh, let's not do that. Since since this is not a visual medium, let's go ahead and talk about Joshua Baez and why you think he's a monster. Well, he's just perfect. Like, uh, you know, he, I, look, there's a lot to work on. Uh, let's, you know, I don't think Joshua Baez is is Jordan Walker, right? I I don't think we're going to have a kid who lights Palm Beach on fire right away, uh, who is being really impressive at Peoria at age 18 or age 19. Uh, but there's, just like with Jordan Walker, there's no denying that he's a physical presence as a teenager with, you know, arguably but maybe not even arguable arguably the best prep power from his draft class uh bias is one of those super athletes too he he pitched uh he was a prep pitcher too not just an outfielder who could hit for a bunch of power and also kind of drive the ball all over the place when when it was time uh he he had a really good pitch arsenal relatively speaking um power is the name of his game and that's what we're going to love but when you dig into the kid, you find this really sweet kid who's really close with his mom and his uh, uh, the, the the matriarchy of his family, who grew up in a really tough neighborhood in uh, a, a tough part of the Northeast, and who has learned the lessons of a grown man, uh, but is also six foot four to twenty as a nineteen year old or eighteen year old, whatever he is right now. Um, I do think that there'll be some initial struggle again, where maybe Jordan Walker didn't have that, but this is a premier athlete who has a premier arm, premier power, and maybe even premier makeup. Um, And all of these things point to a prospect who should probably be higher than ninth. And there's probably an argument to be made that he should be higher than some of these other guys but who I just, again, with this type of player, I just want to give him time to breathe. Look, Ben, uh, the, the comparison that I can make here is, you know, I think that Joshua Baez, and again, I try to use context. I try to use Cardinal players, Cardinal prospects to create context. And to me, Joshua Baez is some combination of Jordan Walker and Trey Fletcher, right? Like, he doesn't have the, the natural speed of Trey Fletcher, but he's a great athlete like Jordan Walker is. Uh, he has the power of Jordan Walker, but he has some holes in his swing uh, that that Trey Fletcher had uh, has. Um, it's like if those two kind of became one player, you'd have Joshua Baez, where where Walker was just so mentally polished, uh, so smart, uh, uh, so on another level that you can't expect out of a lot of prospects. He's the elite, like 1% of mental toughness, mental fortitude. Um, Joshua Baez has a ton of that. He has it in spades, but it's just not quite to that, that level. Cause Jordan Walker is so special. Um, so I, I wanted to practice a little bit of caution with him because I do think there'll be some struggle at the beginning, but it's not going to take long for him to find his happy zone. Um, maybe something like Jonathan Torres, uh, Jan Torres, rather, um, for those first couple seasons until he bust on the scene. But he's he's a special athlete with special power, and uh, he's exactly what the Cardinals 
didn't have for many, many years in their system, which is a potential superstar uh, of a second round pick that, I mean, could just be something, he could be something completely special and unique in the organization. And is correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't he the prospect who, when he came to Bush to sign his deal and take BP or whatever, didn't he say something along the lines of, I, I want to be in the hall of fame. That's his goal. Yeah. I, I think that was him. That's him. Like that's everything you can go back. And what really stuck with me when I was doing pre-draft prep is I remember following, I found an interview of him when he was 16 years old. And he was talking about being, he's like, I just, I want to be a Hall of Famer. I want to be one of the best ever. I'm committed to it. And that's, that's Joshua Baez. Now, I always, I always worry that a kid like that might put too much pressure on himself. And when you're young, if you put, I mean, I'm 35 years old. And when I put too much pressure on myself, I mess up and I mess up. But I'm also a weak-minded sissy, uh, whereas he's a grown man as an 18-year-old. So, I, I do worry that maybe he puts a little bit too pressure, too much pressure on himself, but he'll grow into that and he'll grow or he'll grow out of it. Uh, and that's, that is one of the dynamics that make him special. He is, he is a charming kid who's had a lot of adversity for being as young as he is. And uh, he's so easy to root for. Awesome. Gotta love guys like that, right? Yeah. So, so next guy on the list is number eight. He is a guy who we've seen a little bit of this spring um, with the Cardinals. Uh, Alec Burleson checks in at eight. And what do you need to see out of him in 2022 to believe that he'll be a major league bench piece, at least in the next couple of seasons with how fast the Cardinals have pushed him up the ladder? Is that out of the question? And is even sooner than 2023, like this year, is that out of the question as well? No, I, I mean, I don't think I, so. I will, say, I will say I wrote these questions prior to the signing of Corey Dickerson, which maybe pushes out of the question a little bit more this year. But is that out of the question for next year? Yeah, maybe, maybe not. You know, um, maybe we're talking about 2023, him having a Lars Newbar type impact, uh, 2021 Lars Newbar type impact. You know, uh, I, I don't think so. Uh, he just needs to continue with the consistency. He needs to get better against lefties. Um, that's a big area of weakness, especially really tough lefties. Um, but every lefty is going to struggle against really tough lefties, except for the elite lefties. So he just needs to find that consistency with lefties. He needs to get a little bit better in his route running in the outfield. Uh, but he makes up. <laughs> He's such an interesting guy because when you see him, you think, I don't know what the hell that guy is. Maybe he paints houses. Maybe he, uh, but you know, that's not to take away from, cause he's, he's just not visibly athletic, but he's just athletic. I, I, were you going to say something, Ben? No, you're fine. Okay. All right, cool. I just wanted to make I was sure. Just, I was just laughing. Right, he cool. paints houses. You know, like he just said, <laughs> that's it. Like if you saw him, you think, Oh, that guy is, uh, he, you would just think that he's a normal dude who goes about his business because he doesn't exude that, that athleticism that we've talked about with the last two guys, McGreevy and Baez. He just looks like a player from the 1990s. Like if you were to say that that's Will Clark's stunt double, you'd be like, Oh, okay. It makes a lot of sense. Uh, but he, he has an electric arm. He was a former pitcher at ECU. Uh, uh, shout out to my East Carolina people. Um, he, he is, he was a former pitcher at ECU who has a 
the most underrated arm in the organization from the outfield. It is potentially something special. Um, he he just throws his bat at the baseball with quickness and shortness, and he can put the ball all over the place. Uh, he, it doesn't matter, but he just seems to do it as consistently and as stro- pardon me as strongly as possible. Uh, and then also get better at route running a little bit out in the corner outfield spots. But and I know okay. that that's not like yeah. that's not like super exciting, and there's a bunch of other stuff to talk. You know, he brought power that I didn't think he would bring after he got drafted. Like, I would suggest, and again, this is a total. This is legitimately Ben. I mean this. This is a total guess. But I bet if you were to ask the organization what the most surprising part of his game was, it would be that power that kind of came out of not nowhere. You know, he had power. He had demonstrated power, but he really tapped into it. If he can just continue to add on to what he showed in 2021, then that's a player who's not only a, a, a potential fourth outfielder or a guy who can get some DH at bats and run around in a corner spot. That's a potential starting potential starting corner outfielder. Uh, and again, that's another kid who eats baseball. He's committed to it. He loves it. That's what he wants to do. And uh, he's going to maximize his talent because of it. I'm glad you added that on because I was trying to think of a way to say, okay, so why is he number eight on the list? You know? And, and I think that that more than answers it there. I think that, you know, when you, when you get into guy where proximity to the majors and the tools that he has show improvement at the upper levels of the minors right prior to him getting a chance, if that continues to go as well as it does, then yeah, like you said, then, then we're looking at a starter in the corner outfield and not a fifth or fourth outfielder. And, and so that's why he's number eight. You know, he, maybe the loudness of some of the other tools, like the guys we've talked about recently in the top 10, 15, aren't there. But but when you combine proximity with getting better as he moves up the ladder, it makes a lot of sense for him to be pushed up to number eight. Yeah, and he uh, that swing of his is so quick, and it's very quiet. There isn't a lot of wasted movement in it. And he can generate power with it. And power to all fields, but also drive to all fields. Like, I don't think he's going to hit a ton of opposite field home runs, but he's going to drive the ball down the line. He's going to drive the ball to the, you know, the opposite line. He's going to drive the ball to the opposite gap. And he's getting more comfortable, you know. And that's such a tough ask. It's such a tough ask to ask any of those kids who were drafted during COVID, uh, the COVID time, to be as productive as he was at Memphis. And the fact that while he was at Memphis last year, uh, you know, it took him a couple of weeks to get going, but it, when he finally got into the last month of the season, he was back to being what we saw at Springfield. He was back to being what we saw at Peoria, uh, and, and he was producing all the way through. You know, I that that lightning quick swing of his with very little motion is maybe what separates him from a lot of uh, uh, other organizational bats, except from potentially the guy we're talking about, the guy ahead of us. All right, uh, so. At number seven, since you, you mentioned the guy ahead of us, at number seven, we've got uh, Brendan Donovan, who uh, we're going to get into two guys here with Donovan and Yepes that um, kind of cross over to more of my shtick at Birds on the Black, which is our projection system that I try to put out every year. And uh, that that's that's coming. Uh, a lot of them are written. Um, go, just going through some final touches before I put them up as soon as I can. Um, we're probably looking at 
you know, close to the beginning of the season, those going up instead of the beginning of the spring. But Brendan Donovan is a guy who at number seven on your list, Andy's somebody who my projection system loves in terms of just flat on flat out getting on base. Um, it really intrigues me because I feel like a middle infield leadoff hitter who can actually get on base would be a humongous benefit to this iteration of this Cardinals club. Um, and I thought all of that before reading your article. And now I almost want Edmund Sosa and DeYoung to have to battle it out for short and Donovan to be installed as the everyday second baseman. And really there's been nothing he's done in the spring so far to dissuade me of that. Um, He's had a very good spring. I've liked, uh, now I know we can say like, yeah, he hit an opposite field homer, but just a bit wind aided on that one. Um, but he did drive the ball the other way very well there. Um, I don't know that it would have gone out on most days at Roger Dean, but um, he's had a really good spring and and my projections have him close to a 350 on base as a major leaguer next year what are you thinking with Donovan and are my projections just wildly out of whack? Uh, what do we got here? Yeah. You know, Donovan was one of four players in the Cardinals organization that had matching 800 or above OPSs against lefties and righties. Uh, it was Donovan. I'm so stupid. Donovan Walker, Yepes and Plummer. They were the four guys who had matching 800 or above OPSs against uh, lefties and righties. Now, the only one who had matching uh, 900 or above was Yepes, who we'll get to in a second. But that's I, I bring that up because, look, Donovan's biggest area is he needs to get better against lefties, but not against your regular lefties. He's going to be fine against regular lefties. <laughs> like he, he just needs to work on getting good against nasty, nasty, mean, cruel, psychotic lefties like myself, but that can actually throw a baseball. Uh, that's the only area at the plate where he needs to get better. And I could say that about every lefty in baseball. His contact tool is legit. Uh, he has a high BABIP, and that's because he beats teams. He beats the infield. He beats the shift. He beats how teams are playing him because he's a legitimately smart hitter who knows how to handle counts. Uh, ben, look, I've always I've been hedging here with this middle infield thing. With the Cardinals, um, you know, I, I've I've always said uh, I've always said entering the season, anybody who's asked me for the last six months how I would handle second and short, I would have made it an open competition between Edmund, DeYoung, Gorman, and, and Donovan. And Edmund would be he wouldn't be playing second base every day. I don't care if he's a Gold Glover at second base or not. You'll be able to find another Gold Glover at second base. Uh, uh, you know, as long as Colton Wong's not playing every day for Milwaukee. Um, especially this year with there being a shift, you don't necessarily need that second baseman to be a gold glover. All right. Yeah. And there's no, no, and there's no telling that if Tommy Edmond would be a gold glover, if the shift was even in place and same thing goes with Paul DeYoung. So my thought is, uh, Tommy Edmond was a really good defensive shortstop at, at, in the Cardinals minor league system. He handled it very well in a very short period of time when he, when he got it last year, when DeYoung was hurt. Uh, so, what you do is you open and uh, make it a completely open competition. And if I'm being honest, uh, if I'm having my, if you were asking me who to be biased for, towards entering the season, I would have said, make Edmund your everyday shortstop, make Donovan your everyday second baseman, let Gorman eat at the minor leagues, let the young eat off the bench, get him some DH at bats and see if he can earn that shortstop spot back. 
Uh, but that's not what the Cardinals are going to do, and that's kind of a bummer. I do think Brendan Donovan has a clear shot at the Major League roster out of spring training. I That needs to happen because Brendan Donovan possesses a lot of things that the Cardinals don't have, and that's a guy who can legitimately play a lot of different positions okay, including positions that he's never played. Uh, we saw that at the minor leagues in 2021. Uh, he hardly had ever played the outfield, and he played it a little bit. Uh, but they say, hey, we need you to play the outfield today. He takes a bunch of reps and runs around left field for Springfield like he's been out there quite a bit. Uh, sure, it's kind of awkward, but no more awkward than I am all of the time. Uh, so I, I understand that. You know, he plays a little bit of shortstop. I bet that if they gave him an entire offseason to work out at shortstop, he'd be fine there. Uh, he plays a really good second base, a really good third base. You get national people who call him a fringy defender, but those are going off of old evaluations from his time in college. Uh, it's South, Southern Alabama, I think, is where he went. Uh, this is more than a fringy defender. This is a dedicated kid who, who who has everything that you want out of a left-handed bat. And sure, it might not be loud. It's not going to be Jim Edmonds at the plate. It's not. It might not even be Lars Newbar at the plate. It, it'll be a different version of that where he's getting on base more. He doesn't have that raw power, but he's a strong kid in a compact uh, a body who can do a lot of things and is. Like we've seen in spring already, his arm is stronger than we've ever seen. You know, sure, he struggled against a really tough lefty, but we're seeing that that swing that has not changed has also gotten faster and stronger, which only means better production. Uh, Brendan Donovan's a major leaguer. It's just a matter of when it's going to happen and what kind of opportunities he's going to get when he finally gets that chance. And uh, he does it in a way that maybe a lot of other Cardinal prospects are first or second or third year players don't do. So uh, I'm with you with your initial sentiment. I wish they would have opened it up and it actually, uh, not to go on this tangent, but it's a bummer to me that we seem to, in two weeks of spring training, have recycled Mike Schilt all over again. So I was pinch hitting for Alan Medlock over on uh, Meet Me at Musial with Daniel Shoptoss, he's 70 uh, this week and last week, I guess, last weekend. And, um, we were only one or two games into spring training at that point, and we, we tried to steer clear of saying that, but it, it, those first couple lineups sure as heck looked like it. Um, and then some of those comments that, that have been made already sure as heck do seem like that again. Um, so we'll we'll see how it goes on that front. We'll, we'll maybe tackle that another time, maybe a month or two into the season, as opposed to the first week of spring training game. So we'll, we'll leave it there for today because I am much more excited to bring the last prospect we'll talk about today up. And that is number six, uh, Juan Yepes. Uh, you love Juan Yepes. My projection system loves Juan Yepes. Um, as a rule, my projections really don't like people with short track records of success which uh, generally speaking, that's Juan Yepes uh, in terms of statistical success. It doesn't, it just, it, it, my system just doesn't, but especially at the minor league level. Um, my system is one that was lower on Marcelo Zuna than anyone else, and it was right. It was lower on Tommy Edmond than anyone else. It was right. It, it just absolutely adores Juan Yepes to the tune of like an 800 OPS guy as a rookie. By OPS, it has them only behind our two through four hitters, Goldie, Tun, and Arenado, as the best hitter on the entire club already. The concern about him isn't at the plate, though. Um, we kind of talked about Yepes a little bit last time when we talked about Luke and Baker. Um, 
the questions about Yepes are not in his character. Um, it's simply in the fact that unless there's a DH, where do the Cardinals put him? Cardinals are set at the corner infield spots. They seem to be set now at the corner outfield spots for years to come, meaning is DH where he's going to have to be? And a couple questions there. Is the bat going to work? And how would a youngster like a Yepes or like any youngster coming up for the first time adjust to being a halftime player, so to speak? Yeah, we talked about, uh, you know, I, I, I don't have the article. I want to say I found out about the article through Ben Clemens, so that means it was probably a Fangraphs article. But uh, uh, there was an article that was floating around last year about how difficult it is to become a first-time, full-time DH, about how it's almost impossible, and everybody who tries to become a first-time, full-time DH ends up seeing their offensive numbers sag. Uh, It's because it's not easy to just hit uh, and to remove yourself from a game. Uh, So I understand the trepidation that might come with with making someone like Juan Yepes uh, a full-time DH, or anyone who has never done it even a little bit here and there. Now, they do do DH at the minor league, so he has done it, but... Not on an everyday basis. It's a big, big ask. Uh, I get it. And I I think and I believe that if Juan Yepes were given the opportunity, I think he would maximize it. I think that's a kid who's born to hit. Uh, and I think he understands his ability to hit. Um, ben, something that you and I have talked about, and you brought it up at Meet Me Unusual, uh, but you didn't name me, and I appreciate that. Um, I was the one who said, that Juan Yepes, uh, my concern with Yepes as I watch him in spring, as someone who has watched him and as somebody who has talked to him and somebody who has built a relationship uh, with that family, uh, he's pressing right now. He's trying too damn hard to make an impression at the plate because he wants his opportunity. And he just needs to relax. If he just relaxed, then I wouldn't have people in my DMs asking me what all the hype was about Juan Yepes. Uh, uh, you know, like... He's the type of kid who just, if he trusts himself, if he trusts his process, just like with Don, Brendan Donovan, like uh, these these elite hitters, if they just, tr- Tyler O'Neill, how many, for how many years have I said that, you know, if Tyler just adopts what he did at the minor leagues, if he trusts his process, then you're going to see something special. And that's what we saw last year. We know that for a fact now. Uh, same thing with Juan Yepa. Same thing with Brendan Donovan. It's just that the mental side of baseball, specifically at the major league level, is so hard. It's so hard to do on a daily basis. Uh, when, Jan, when, when Juan Yepes gets to that point, he's going to be something special uh, as a hitter, whether it's uh, playing defense like Jose Martinez, wherever he's playing, or if he's allowed to be a DH on a regular basis. Uh, uh, and I get the trepidation of putting Jose Martinez out in, uh, you know, we've seen what that can be sometimes. Um but with Yepes, I, I just I think that if given the opportunity to have 600 at bats as your everyday DH, uh, the first 200 might be brutal, the middle 200 might be acceptable, but the last 200 are going to be special. Uh, and, and it's just a matter of having the patience and the opportunity to do it, to sit through right-handed versus right-handed at bats, including some tough righties, um, and just letting the kid eat and letting the kid grow. Uh, because to me, the comments you hear out of Ali Marmol of this guy who hit 900, had 900 OPS against lefties and a 900 OPS against righties as a 23-year-old at AAA, um, 
still working on his defense at a couple different positions that what you hear out of Ali Mormol is a guy who they're so worried about his defense, which I don't give And you know, we're, we've talked now for an hour and a half, uh, but I don't give a shit about that's the first time I've cussed. Uh, I don't give a shit about his defense. I don't care about it at all. Uh, and if the Cardinals are in a position with the DH in the national league where they get pigeonholed and they need him to play defense, uh, and it hurts them, then that's on their, That's on them. That's on roster construction, uh, especially when Brendan Donovan can play first, even though he never played it and played it extremely freaking well <laughs> as if he had played over there a bunch. So uh, that's my thought on the Juan Yepes situation in general. Well, let's hope that Yepes gets the opportunity for, you know, those plate appearances number 401 to 600 rather quickly as opposed to the Tyler O'Neill route who got those in years three and four in the majors. Um, Special shout out to the Yepes family. They are always awesome with me on Twitter as they are with you. Um, And in Pat, I'm sure uh, they they deserve a shout out because they are just a fun group of people who just absolutely Love rooting for Little Juan as his uh, Twitter handle. I don't remember the number, but Little Juan. Um, seven. Eh, seven. Okay, good. Uh, that's what I was going to say, but I chickened out. Um, so Little Juan Seven and and Omar and all them, they, they, they've just been awesome with us. Um, Yepes, I, I'll, I'll say it again. I'll say it till I'm blue in the face. I, I really hope that, you know, I when, when the Cardinals traded Matt Adams for – this guy who, when I looked up prospect systems and I couldn't find his name anywhere and I'd never heard of him, I was, I was a little frustrated at that. And, and he just keeps continuing in the last couple of years to, to prove me wrong. And I, I hope that he continues to do so for another dozen or so in a Cardinals uniform and uh, n- not, not a minor league Cardinals uniform. Hopefully it's with the big league club and he is crushing it. Um, yeah, guys, a reminder. Can, oh, go ahead. I say like, just as a reminder, like all this stuff that we're talking about with Juan Yepes is exactly what we talked about with Luke Voigt. Now, I don't think Yepes has that like monster power that Voigt has, but what stopped Luke Voigt from being a productive Cardinal was Jose Martinez and Matt Carpenter playing first. And if the DH if is his clear path to the majors, and it's Lars Nupar and Corey Dickerson. Uh, two lefties that are going to stop him, then we're just repeating the some combo of uh, Voight and Arozarena over again, you know, and it doesn't do him any good to waste away at AAA. That's a, he's not the kind of player. He doesn't have this kind of skill set that's going to benefit from 200 to 400 or bats at AAA. That's it, I it, it's, it'll be status quo or neutral. It will never be. Oh, he's going to get better. Like, this is him now. This is where you capitalize on the growth he's made. Now, sure, maybe maybe he starts a year at, at AAA and he gets 50 at-bats and he gets to ranking and he gets into a groove and then you call him up. Like, I could almost justify that. I could almost see that. But you got to run with him when you bring him up, and that includes righty-on-righty matchups. And again, it might not be pretty at first. Uh, it wasn't pretty with Alan Craig. It wasn't pretty with David Freeze. It wasn't pretty with so many people. Uh, uh, but he'll make the best out of it, I can promise you, because that hit tool is too good not to. Awesome. Awesome. 
Folks that are listening, if this list of six to ten doesn't get you excited, I hope the next one will. But if this doesn't get you excited and hearing Kyle talk about these guys doesn't get you excited the way he talks about them, then uh, I I don't know what I can do for you. My wife's the pharmacist. So have a (laughs) wonderful night. And um, we will get back to you with the top five in the organization next time. Adios.